York Times best-selling author of Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, How I Survived, Nellie Olson, and Learned to Love Being Hated, Alison Arngrim is best known to viewers worldwide for her portrayal of the incredibly nasty Nellie Olson on the much-beloved, long-running hit television series, Little House on the Prairie. She continues to amass audiences through her many film, television, stage, and multimedia appearances. Returning to the show, please welcome Allison Arngrim. How are you, Allison? I'm very good. Thank you. I just did a big old radio show here in Cleveland, the Ray Carr Show. Yeah, and you've been up all morning. <laughs> I know, and they have a lot of people here who are hardcore bonnet heads, so we had quite the prairie morning, and uh, now I'm with you. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. I'm not going to take away too much of your morning, but um, back to bed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. seriously, it's like you've been kind of you've already had a full day. You've done more right. today than most executives. I, I just flew in last night, so I'm totally like three hours early. Oh, so, like I, I have no idea what time it is right now. I'll settle in sometime tonight or tomorrow. But right oh now, God. I'm like, what day is it? <laughs> well, what I'll do is I'll make it easy on you. Um, one of the things I just wanted to mention right off the um, top is I've become a pretty big fan of your podcast, the Allison Arngrim show. And the reason why I like it, and I just, um, I didn't know what to expect because you're, you're one of these people, I think who you're, you're a pretty flexible person in the sense of you can either just be, I think you know how to turn it on and turn it off. And I, I think that the real you is on that podcast, I think, you know, and it's so, it's such a cool show. Um, you. you know, it's, it's really, um, the, the one, I mean, you have a number of different, um, celebrities on the show, such as Don Wells and, um, D Wallace is the episode that I first listened to. No, oh, I didn't. For I just re- listened to. It. I'm, I'm sorry. Running, I'm rerunning Don Wells because I'm in Ohio right now, so I'm rerunning Don oh. Wells this afternoon, actually. Yeah, you know, th- but you know, you you really kind of get in there and you're talking about things that you don't normally hear on shows about these people. Um, the D. Wallace interview I thought was really, really great, and you were just talking about so much, you know, personal stuff as well. So um, I just wanted to know what, how do you like doing the show and um, what do you foresee doing with it in the future? I'm really enjoying it. And it's for years, people said, you should have a show. You should have a show. You should have a show. I had done some interviewing of people for a thing called AIDS vision, which was a thing for uh, AIDS project, Los Angeles, out here in LA, cable, you know, you know, the, the, it was the, the cable public access show, but it was awesome because I was interviewing doctors and people had gone to the AIDS conference and people from the project. And it was very cool, but I, I enjoyed it. And, and this one, obviously, I had access to a lot of people because I'm friends with a lot of these people. And I, I share a publicist with many of my guests. So that was easy. Harlan goes, oh, by right. the way, so-and-so has a book coming out. Can you have her on? Do you have her? <laughs> yeah, sure. Put her in next week. Um, so we have those. And then people I know and people come to me who I've met and go, I want to do the show. And I'm like, come on down. Um, so I, I I get really interesting guests. And I am genuinely interested in these people. And I also want them to talk about what they want to talk about. I mean, even Loretta Switch, sure, we talked about MASH, but we talked about her charity and what she's doing about dogs and about veterans and this, that. everybody's different stuff and mm-hmm. her book. 
and people they come on they go not everyone knows about this art i'm doing nobody knows about the other career i'm putting out an album i'm doing this or they have some huge charity they have some new project they're doing and not everybody knows that they're you know and you know how it is the industry puts people in teeny tiny little boxes sure they get stuck in a way yeah and and all anyone knows is that and celebrities want to talk about other things and i want them to talk about what makes them feel good what they're excited about and that's why i always say that the allison arngram show we talk about the things that make you feel good the movies and tv shows and people who are doing things to make the world a better more interesting place and it crosses over yeah we'll have a celebrity from you know we'll have michael lerner from the waltons but then we also well okay like anson williams from happy days and he's talking about alert drops and drowsy driving and how many lives is this man saving. So I have these people and they're doing really interesting things right now and they want to talk about them. And I'm like, hey, I got 50 minutes. Go for it. And I let them I, – I wind them up. I let them go. I let them talk about what they want to talk about for God's sakes. It's How hard is that? You know, it's <laughs> interesting because, you know, all right, Anson Williams, um, sure, I want to hear all about Potsy, right? But, you right. know, that was, that was like 40 years ago. I mean the guy's potsied out. You know, he, right? you know, the last thing he probably wants to hear about is Potsy. And, yeah, I think that sometimes from from the perspective of a fan is we forget. And, you know, I think it's easy to also say, oh, yeah, we forget. But I think we really forget that we even forget that these are people who have day to days. They wake up, they brush their teeth, just like all of us, and they have a goal every day. And and a lot of these people are, are using their names um, like you you lend your name to giving exposure to these things or you're working on, you're always working on a project. I, I think right. that, I think it's important to also look at what these people are doing because a lot of times it, it's very, very personal to them. And a lot of times it's personal because it applies to the history of Hollywood in a lot of ways. Right. Right. Um, and they just, these people are so multifaceted and interesting and have interesting lives and have interesting views on things. And it's like, it's just, here's their opportunity on my show to talk about that. stuff. I love you the vibe of your show. Seriously. Yeah, it's you, I, I'm really not just, cool. Like, I'm going to ask you these 10 questions, blah, blah, blah. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, well, we're going to make sure we hit on this topic and we want to hear about the time you did this. However, what would you like to talk about? Well, let's talk about <laughs> this thing. No one is asking you about for God's sake. So, yeah. Um, so I'm really anxious to see where you take in and other people you get. It's almost, I, I compare it to very few shows right now, but Gilbert Gottfried, who mm -hmm. has a very good show. It can be very loud. If, like, you know, if you're not in the mood for you know, Gilbert, Gilbert Gottfried's Godfrey. humor, yeah, right, yeah. I'm not always in the mood for him, but he gets such cool guests. And I, I would compare it to that. It's, it's really touching upon a lot of stories from people that we love mm -hmm. um, and hearing about these stories that we've never heard. And I right, love it. Right. Um, so one of the things uh, about a month ago uh, came across, um, my video prime was, um, hush, hush, Nellie Olson. Oh my God. <laughs> and you're wearing another wig. I don't know. You somehow, you know, <laughs> you got tricked into wearing okay. another wig. <laughs> I have never been in anything. It's really, they almost never let me use my own hair. It's becoming kind of annoying. I, I have perfectly lovely hair. You do. No one wants use my own hair i had a little house with a wig and every time i do a play it's like and we have this wig and i have two wigs i'm always in a wig on stage i get several plays every time i get there and here's your wig and um and then i do this horror things and we have a wig of course you have a wig um but it was an awesome wig in fact funny because okay so it's we, the thing i was shooting was called mephisto box 
although I think it's Suffer a Witch now. They keep changing the name. But it's a great, hor- fabulous horror thing. Yeah. And I get there, and he got this wig. And even the, his friends and the people that were saying, like, oh, it's just like some terrible dead hooker wig. What is this? It's awful. <laughs> and this wig is not good, and it's not combed out right. I said, no, 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 no. Give me that thing. And I went in the bathroom and took a pair of scissors. And I got in the mirror and I said, here, let me fix this. And then it was sort of this like 1960s supermodel gone wrong kind of crazy look and almost Warhol time. And I was like, OK, I'm wearing this. You and know what? It, it did have a Warhol look to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an old 60s Warhol chick. Yeah. And so it's this very crazy wig. And I went, now we're ta- now we're getting somewhere with this. And the whole bizarre backstory of how her satanic family sent her away to Europe to have the monster, evil Satan baby, um, (laughs) that she had kind of has this Euro trash sort of French. We're not quite sure what accent. And I went, I like that. I like that, that she sort of got this cosmopolitan um, Euro trash accent. And that makes it more creepy and disturbing when she goes off her nut and is ranting and raving about babies and about murdering people that it's funny. I just started watching, just started binging um, the TV show killing Eve. I'm not familiar. I've heard of it. (laughs) Is it really good? I'm looking for a new show. Killing Eve. Um, And it's just won a bunch of Emmys. And the girl who is the crazy assassin, she's French. She's she, or she's she's Polish and living in Paris, and she has this wackadoo accent. And she really she's a, she's a hit woman, but the problem is she likes it too much. She's getting out of control. <laughs> At one point, they actually tell her, "Look, you were seen. There were witnesses. It's getting too hot. Don't even carry out your next hit. Go on vacation and lay low for a few months." And she won't. She still has to go kill it because she's enjoying it. She likes killing them. And she has this weird, like, oh, I am sorry you are dead kind of, like, <laughs> bizarre, like, she thinks it's funny. Like kind of sultry, but almost like, uh, oh, I would say it almost sounds like you're describing somebody who's almost getting into um, a bit of an erotic type of situation or yeah. a very emotional situation. Right killing people huh. and she's kind of really just sociopathic and has this goofy accent and when i saw it i went wow it's lisa this i had this i hadn't even seen this show when i did suffer a witch and i went oh my god this is completely who lisa is she's, so she's emotionally cut off and is just has to kill these people and has a crazy accent and i'm like oh my god it's killing eve so i was very pleased to see that going okay so this is a thing that other people think this is a thing um but yes it was really fun kelly hughes calls me up um he's a big fan and he wrote me an email and said yes i've written this horror thing and i'm like (laughs) my attitude always is are you union you got any money show me the script sure and if it's a character, I go, I think this is funny or I like this character. I've never done anything like this. I want to do it. Basically, you have paper from SAG and you can write me some kind of a check. Um, and he said, I can do that. And I said, I love this. And so we, he got a SAG new media agreement as a web series. And I and he flew me to Seattle and he paid me and I stabbed a lot of people. You I know, was, it's a banana story. Like it's, it's really fun, though. It's so crazy and fake blood and everything. Lots a of 70 year old pregnant woman somehow. Yeah, yeah, so it's just, well, because they, like, sh- the, the, he, like, climbed back up her. It was, oh, yeah. my God, ew. Um, yes, dead people being reborn via 70-year-old women. And um, it's just so nuts, and I stab a woman in the eye and make a s'more out of her eyeball. And um, it's just so wrong. I killed, <laughs> and I killed four people and a, and a plastic rat. Um, <laughs> it was, I sacrificed a fake rat. But 
so I'm shooting this and I'm having so much fun. And then we go and shot more. And he said, listen, I'm trying to finish this thing and edit this thing. And we're so beyond budget. And he said, but I have all of this behind the scenes footage, like just hundreds of hours. And he kept interviewing me and the other cast members. He says, I have a bazillion hours of interview footage and behind the scenes making up footage. I have to do something with this. And I think I can like sell this and fund the rest of the web series. With it. You know, it's interesting because have you ever seen the documentary American movie? From no. 2001. No. This, um, um, it's about uh, Mark Bichard, who also is a horror filmmaker. And there's a documentary crew that follows him around making it. Mark has a lot of trials and tribulations. Like, you know, he's down in his luck. He doesn't have the money. Um, it's one of my favorite. I love documentaries. And this is number one, one of my most. Fame, I mean, most um, it, it's number one when it comes to any documentary that I'm going to watch. It's funny and it's it's really honest. So yeah, American movie. If you're ever bored, I'm sure it's on one of the streaming services. So he says I'm doing this thing. I'm putting together. I'm calling it Hush Hush Nelly Olson, which is hysterical. And we 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 opened at a film festival in L.A. and um, then he edited it down. He's doing a couple of film festivals, and then it's on Amazon. He got documentaries on Amazon, so I'm just cracking up over this. And it's actually pretty good because I said, okay, I said, wait, I saw some of that footage. Did you use the good footage or the terrible footage? Like, how awful do I look in this? He's like, no, 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 I used the good footage. I didn't buy it though. I went 20 minutes into it, and I'm thinking, all right, this is not a real documentary. You know, that was the problem. <laughs> So I even went on. I was like, all right, what is this under comedy? Like, where is it? I'm like, it's under documentary. I'm like, all right, from this point on, I'm going to watch it like it's a real documentary. I'm going to just buy into it. And now you're confirming it. Yeah, we really did make this cockamamie movie. And he really did film all this stuff. And he really did interview me and all of the cast. And he and and this. Yeah, this is all this all actually happened. I'm going to watch it again now, I think, with that mindset. It looks like a parody of a documentary, like it's like it's, you know, the spinal tap of horror documentary. <laughs> we really did do this. I, I really loved it. And um, we're actually going. I have another podcast called VHS Rewind. Where we review films and stuff, and we're actually going to review it on there. And <laughs> because it's it, it kind of relates with Little House in the Prairie. Well, and know? VHS Rewind is great because Kelly did a whole lot back in the day when he was doing some weird underground cable horror show. Oh, really? It, heavily into VHS and he still goes to like VHS horror movie trading conventions where people trade ancient VHS horror films. Yeah. Those those are the people who are, yeah. He's a real geek for that stuff. Oh, wow. Maybe I'll reach out to him. (laughs) You should talk to Kelly. Kelly is a very interesting person. He's very nice guy. He's a good Icelandic boy and, um, very sweet person. But yeah, he is, into so many weird, esoteric, nerdy, fabulous things. You should talk to him. That'd be awesome. Um, so I'm just asking, all right, so with Little House in the Prairie, you would wear the wig and wear these um, costumes. Yeah. And, and here we are, you know, years, decades later, and you're putting on the wig and wearing these costumes. Do you feel as though it's important to you as an actor to have an accurate wardrobe? Like, do you think it gets more out of you? Because you speak very passionately about this character. Well, it's true. It's what was it? Jack Nicholson, when he was doing the Joker, said, you know, time to play the costume. Um, There are a lot of actors who talk about from the outside in that sometimes when you get in the wardrobe, 
and the wig and you get into the thing, you suddenly then it's like, ooh, I now feel. The and it's true. It can happen. I mean, yes, I do all sorts of actory things and backstory and whatnot. And, but there's something about transforming yourself so you no longer look like yourself. You look in the mirror and you go, I don't know who is who's she. Um, and you transform. You're wearing stuff you would never wear and hair you would never have. <laughs> That, that takes you out of yourself. So you're not self-conscious. You're able to get in the zone. I mean, even when I did Nelly, I was such a little tomboy in jeans and sneakers. One of my friends uh, visited the set when they first started filming and said, this is the longest I've seen you wear a dress. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you've been in a dress for eight hours. Um, so that and you sold it. You know, I mean, you would think that this was a girl who lived in dresses. Oh, prissy. I was playing this prissy, prissy girl who loved the flouncing in the dresses. Sure, and I sure. I wore um, Levi's and high top Converse tennies and T-shirts. That's what I lived in. And it was alien to me to have – and my hair. I always wore my hair down. I mean occasionally at summer camp, somebody braided it after swimming. I mean that was as fancy as I got. And here I was in ringlets and bows and petticoats and a dress. It was the opposite, the complete opposite of me. So I was – it was drag. I was doing drag. I was somebody else. <laughs> And and it was so weird. So I was transferred. So it's like that made it easy. And when we're on the set, we'd go on location where well, we didn't have cell phones, but there were no phones. The TV didn't work. The radio didn't work. You're incommunicado out in the, the countryside with these sets. So you went, I am in the 1800s. Ah! So it was easy to kind of take yourself into the mental zone and become Nellie Olson. And I keep doing these parts where they give me these weird costumes and this hair and makeup where I go, I, I, I did the Agatha Christie play, and then there were none. And I was the old, creepy English woman. All the characters have killed someone accidentally or maybe sort of on purpose, but they all kind of protest and say, I didn't do it or it was an accident. I'm the only one who goes, yes, and she deserved to die. <laughs> <laughs> you're willing to – yeah, you're willing to raise your fist and say it. cop to it. Well, yes, of course she died and a good thing too. Um, and – but once they got me in, I was in this dark wig and this this kind of old lady, fussy British woman, gray skirt and everything. I looked in the mirror and I'm like, who are you? I like unrecognizable. And so it was easy to go off into that. And then with this Lisa thing, once I got that wig on and then the accent and yes, there was a script, but there were days where he's like, okay, I want to do this thing. There's no words here. We're adding it. It's where you do this sacrifice. And then you're watching your dad, the satanic cult leader on TV. And, and there's no dialogue. We're just going to kind of wig out and see where this goes. Hmm. And it was very freeing. I was like, okay, this is probably going to look stupid, but I don't care. And so it was so freeing <laughs> that we just kind of went nuts. I mean, and then I got a different wig for the eyeball scene when we're out in the woods. And um, it was so freeing. I was. I was in some zone. In fact, mm. um, uh, uh, the actress who was I, I was putting out, uh, True, she she was freaked out. She said, she said, you're actually kind of creeping me out. She <laughs> said, I, Mission accomplished. I thought the part where you put my eye out was going to bother me. It didn't. <laughs> it was the part where you're trying to just feed me the s'more. Before you put my eye on your trying to feed me is more. It was really disturbing. I don't know what you were doing, but it was like upsetting. <laughs> wow. And I had just gone somewhere and become this crazy, sadistic person. So I, I yes, there is something about 
getting so far out of yourself in with the wig and the costume that you're not you're not thinking about yourself you're not thinking about well how do i look how do i sound will people like me (laughs) sounds liberating yeah you're so completely past that you're not thinking about any of that so all you're thinking about is the story and the character and what's happening and you get it in the moment and so those are always the good performances when you see these indie productions kind of coming together um from like kelly hughes and he's really doing this on um possibly, I mean, I don't know what his financial situation is, but he's probably charging his way through it. Um, a lot what, of favors. Fav- like, I have this friend who owns several acres in the forest. We're going there now. <laughs> oh, really? exactly. He has no nearby neighbors. If we scream and perform satanic rituals with fire and blood in his backyard, no one will notice. So. <laughs> <laughs> those, are, those are, I guess, good friends. You know, you have to ask yourself, like, all right, well, what are they doing when I'm not filming? No. <laughs> really, really good friends that they, yeah. they let him do this stuff to their houses. I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's great too. Um, but have you ever thought about working behind the cameras um, and, and kind of working on a production of your own right now or yeah, anything like that in the works? You know, people say, do you want to direct? Do you want to direct? I think yeah. I'm, I'm one of those weirdos. I'd probably want to produce. Um, I technically produce event-wise. Well, you have the Age Project Los Angeles Summer Party that we did for years and years on the Universal Studios backlog to raise money for APLA, and I produced the comedy. St- I got put in charge of the volunteer comedy stage. But when I got put in charge of it, I said the lighting and the sound is terrible. I got proper lighting and proper mm-hmm. sound. I started booking people like Margaret Cho and Wendy Liebman. Oh Lee- wow! Uh, and it went from oh, yeah, we have a little area off to the side away from the disco where we do comedy to an actual theater. We put up a tent so it was sealed off. It was a theater. You had to have a ticket. And we had three shows back-to-back with top-name comedians. And people were fighting. We had to have security. People were climbing under the tent to try to get in. And it was just – and it was, like, free. It was like once you bought a ticket to the thing, you went to the disco or the, the country area or the <laughs> – It's like side stages, Yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So we had, you know, there was a country area, there was um, uh, a silent auction, there was a, a whole food thing and bars and stuff. And then there was the comedy area. And it went from just like a little stage with a microphone and a few people to this sort of like insane epic concert thing that everybody was fighting to get into. Mm. And I, I, that's, I produced that. So yeah, that kind of worked out. So I like producing, which is kind of crazy. You bring up stand up now. Um... There, there are a few clips floating around YouTube um, of your stand-up, yes. and and they're like they're really good. Like I'm just, Thank do you, you, you're nice. I was I was literally laughing out loud, and I don't laugh out loud very often with comics. I'm a fan of the that kind of um, that late '80s type of really kind of abrasive humor, and I think you touch upon that a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really missing nowadays for the most part, but. What about that? Would you ever return or do you do anything like that? Um, being on the East Coast, I'm really not privy to what might be going on on, you know, out I was doing stand-up, stand-up like club stand-up for yeah. years. And then, you know, and that's like one of the reasons things like Uncabaret were formed. It got so formulaic, joke, 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 and like annoying drunk people. And it also got kind of that weird period in the late 80s where things got weirdly sexist, racist, and mean and scary. Like, where is this all going? And and so a lot of people were very alternative or female comedians or gay and lesbian comedians. And they started doing things like Uncabaret. Well, I was kind of going, yeah, it is getting weird. But that was when I started doing 
uh, in 2002, I went to New York and they said, you need to do an hour and a half. And I went, hour and a half? Hour and a half? Jeez. Um, who the hell has an hour and a half? And so I wound up doing creating Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, complete mm-hmm. with a question and answer segment, and it was a hit. And then I met Sue Hamilton uh, of the Renberg at the Gay and Lesbian Center in L.A., and we wound up adding video, and it turned into a thing. And so now I do that all over the place, and then I have the French version. And I like that because it's somewhere between a stand-up act, which has open elements for improv and the, the uh, Q&A, and a staged like one woman show. It's like a cake and a candy. It's both. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you're very comfortable on your own, which is, I think, rare when it comes to a lot of people. But um, you also work very well with others. So you really do bring a lot to the stage. I um, try. I try. <laughs> I try. Um, and so I, I would probably get a decent amount of hate mail if I didn't ask a certain uh, couple questions about A Little House in the yeah. Prairie in particular. It is the Walnut Grove cat. <laughs> Don't talk about the show, dude. Well, you know, I interviewed um, Barbara Walker, who wrote the Little House in the Prairie cookbook, right? <laughs> yes, which I love. Uh, it has yeah, for she, like blackbird pie, which is a little weird. She like, actually has a story about that. How um, she had a hard time finding blackbirds or something like that. I forget. Right, the, had to <laughs> like okay, if using chicken because who the hell's making a pie out of blackbirds now? Okay. <laughs> it seems sad, but um, <laughs> but yeah, we ended up talking about you know carbonated beverages from the like 19th century. So yeah, I mean okay. you know it goes wherever it goes. Um, and she's not even a fan of Little House of Prairie, um, not the right. TV show. So. Oh, yeah, you have the book people and the show people, and yeah, there like, the twain shall meet. You can't shit talk too much, you know, because <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll be the person that hears from everyone. Um, but uh, that's why I told her. I'm like, you can't totally come down too hard on the on the show. But um, but all in all, she appreciates the show because it really kind of allowed her to have a much larger audience for that cookbook. Oh, even even the hardcore Laura Ingalls Wilder people, even the people at the home sites and the museums mm-hmm. around the country, even the hardcore book people are like, hey, the show made everybody go back and read the books. The show made everybody come out to the museums mm-hmm. and start studying the life of the real Laura. So you can't bash it too hard. No, I, I don't think so at all. Um, but one of the people, um, Sarah I'm going to butcher her name, Sarah Dine Manley, which I'm going to guess that's not her last name. It's not Manley. I, I'm going to guess that um, that's a Facebook last name. Um, she's, <laughs> she's asking, if you did a reboot, you said that you would love to be Harriet. Who would yes. be your dream cast for Nels? <gasps> oh, um, wow. Decent question. Uh-huh. Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, he'd be a funny Nels. Um, I you know it's funny because I've seen a lot of sketch comedy where people have done shtick about Little House. There was this thing called Prairie Oaky or Almond Grove. It was very funny, and <laughs> the people that they had playing Nels were really hysterical. Um, so there's a lot of funny people out there who yeah. could be Nels. Um, who, who's good on TV? You have to be a solid straight man, though. I mean, that was the beauty yes. of the of the role. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah, and have it pained, pained. Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, okay, I'll take it. Right. <laughs> um, and Yolanda McMichael, um, I'm not making up these names. Um, she was saying, she was asking, were the episodes in season five, if you remember, did they take place the window? I'm sorry, I'm I'm stammering. Move to the th- yeah, that whole bizarre weirdness. The thing. Winoka yeah. thing was that shot at Big Sky Ranch or was that all studio? 
that's what, yeah, we, it was so weird because we were at Big Sky and, and Paramount and Paramount for indoors, Big Sky for outdoor. And then they just said, let's try, try to follow the books, kind of, sort of. Let's have them leave Walnut Grove and go to South Dakota. Because in real life, Laura Ingalls and her family only lived in Walnut Grove, Minnesota for like two years, year and a half or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they, they gone. They went to Dismet and they lived most of their lives in Dismet, where they st- also stopped being poor. Paul was practically mayor. He was like Justice of the Peace and had a store and everything. Um, they had a beautiful home in Dismet. So, that, and that's where she met Almanzo. She didn't meet Almanzo in Walnut Grove. They were in Dismet. That's where that all happened. But. Um, we'd already been in Walnut Grove far longer than anyone really had. And so we said, well, we'll go to Dismet and then we'll have everybody else just happen to also have to go to South Dakota too, which interesting is also, although it is a fiction, it is a fiction that Laura Ingalls created because oh. Laura Ingalls had the, her family. Oh, okay. We went to Dismet. Oh yeah. And the Olsons totally just showed up in Dismet, South Dakota by accident. And Nellie Olson reappears in my high school. No, she didn't. Of course, that didn't <laughs> happen. The Owens, the real Olsen family, the Owens, moved to California and later to Oregon. And what happened is, is when Laura Ingalls Wilder was writing the books, she was getting fan mail demanding more stuff about Nellie because uh, on the banks of Plum Creek, which is what the TV show is totally based on that one book, really. Nellie was so popular even then as a as a fictional character in a book. They she's wanted- the she's the villain slash drama. You know, it's it, she's really the the epicenter of of the entertainment here. And even though ne- the real Nellie was long gone by the time Laura was a teenager, people were like, "Well, where we want more Nellie?" So luckily, <laughs> there was a girl named Stella Gilbert and a girl named um, Genevieve Masters, who she knew as teenagers, who were apparently worse. And so she just rolled them all together, or as I like to say, it took three people to be as mean as I was. Um, <laughs> So she created that, and so suddenly Nellie is a teenager is there. So Laura was already making stuff up that didn't happen in that mm-hmm. time. And so we figured, well, let's try to follow the books. So they said, okay, we're going to leave Walnut Grove. We're going to go to South Dakota so that Winoka – oh, I don't know who pulled Winoka out of whose butt, where that came from. But <laughs> Winoka. Um, I just did a trivia thing on the radio show. is on. They said, we need a trivia question. And so we said, okay, what was the name of the football team? And it was Winoka Warriors. Um, <laughs> so – we go to Winoka, and, and I had the private school. I was Nellie goes to private school, and I had that horrible uniform with the gray and the blue smock thing. It was awful. Um, <laughs> that was the costume when I got dressed up with a giant blue bow, and they brought me out and showed me to Michael Landon for approval of the costume. He started laughing and said, you look like a Polish Playboy bunny. <laughs> <laughs> Just sort of this severe iron curtain kind of gray outfit, but with a giant bow, you know? <laughs> Um, so we shot, that was all paramount. What the, the good news for, for me was I, I so hated going to see me Valley cause it was like 110 in the shade. It was always so hot and so dirty. It's like, Oh, I gotta go to see me. No more. See for like a year. We only shot at paramount because we oh, shot the wow. outdoor scenes on the little Western set that probably is still at, I don't know. I hope it's still there at paramount studios where there'd been like Bonanza and gun smoke and oh, wow. So we shot it totally on a Western set of Paramount, which was great. We didn't have to schlep all the way to see me. Um, yeah, right in town. It was insanely unpopular. As you know, <laughs> <laughs> like this. It got boring. And also, although we dragged along the Owens and the Garveys and then invented Albert, <laughs> you didn't have the Baker and you didn't have the Reverend Alden. You didn't have the town. 
And people didn't like it. They said, no, we like Walnut Grove. We like on the banks of Plum Creek. We like these guys. We want that. This is boring and weird. And so they said, to heck with it. We're moving back to Simi Valley. So they had a whole thing kind of sort of like, uh, you know, previewing the end of the show where they had a fire at the hotel with fireworks and it blew up. Much like the end of the show where they blew up the whole thing. Yes. so they, they blew it all up and we left and then we had to go back out to Simi Valley, clean it all up, mow the grass, restore everything. Cause Oh, we're going to come back and shoot now and call up, you know, Doc Baker and the Reverend Alden Hanson <laughs> and go, um, you guys want to come back to work, man? Cause we're oh, doing wow. it. Again. We're Walnut Grove all over. Oh, sure. Um, so suddenly we're back in Walnut Grove, which is completely crazy. And that's the, the only Historical thing I can say is in real life, Laura Ingalls and her family did move so much that they actually left places and then came back. They like, I forget how many times they went to South Dakota and Kansas. They went out, they came back. And in the books, she, she messes with a few timelines. There's some historian was explaining how, well, if you get the book, uh, Pioneer Girl, though, like it's the real bio that. She changes timelines. It's like, oh, she's eight when she's – well, she would have been already 12 by then actually because they moved 14 times. So, yeah. So we kind of pulled a Laura Ingalls and messed with the timeline and moved back to a town. <laughs> wow. You know, um, that's something that kind of went past me. Like I didn't realize at the time because by the time I started watching it, it was um, – they were in reruns. So Right. I, that just kind of glazed over me. But, yeah, it makes total sense that the public wouldn't be happy with that type of environment. Why are we in a town? And where's Doc Baker? And where's Miss Beetle? <laughs> I don't like it. And it's like, well, and also the whole thing at church on Sunday, Reverend Alden, you know, Dabs Greer was amazing. You know, Dabs Greer was in the Green Mile. Yes. Tom Hanks grows up to, to, to be Dabs Greer, apparently. And he was in like four or five <laughs> episodes of The Twilight Zone. I mean, this guy was amazing. So understandably, they're like, where's our Reverend Alden? We want to go to church and have Reverend Alden every Sunday. So mm-hmm. they had to just bring it all back. And it worked. But we, it was weird because everyone always says, oh, the show's not historical. But we kept sneaking things in. We'd go, well, this happened, in the, but we'll just suddenly throw this in. And then they'd throw it in. Okay, Laura Ingalls had a baby brother named Charles who died in infancy. It was very tragic. She didn't put it in the books because mm-hmm. the books targeted to nine-year-old girls. And she went, we're not going to bring up the baby brother who died. But she did have a baby brother, and he did die, and she talked about it in other writings in her real autobiography. On the show, we have an episode where the Ingalls have the little boy, and he dies. Yeah. So you are more historical than the books in that episode. Of course, nobody, including Laura Ingalls, ran away from home and ran all the way to a state where they could climb a mountain and meet Ernest Borgnine, who was apparently <laughs> Yeah, definitely one of the um, wackiest – I'd say a top 10 wacky episode. Ernest Borgnine is God and turns into a dove at the end. It's like, whoa, where is this? Well, the one always kills me because I knew this. People who live in Minnesota or on the prairies always said, what the rolling hills and the trees, where is this supposed to be? Because Simi Valley does not look Minnesota. And we did get mail about that. And I knew that. And that's why I always say, poor Laura, when she went to the mountain, my God, that poor girl must have run across four states. Was she in Colorado? Where did she go that she found this mountain? Because that ain't Minnesota. You know what's bothering me these days when I watch the show is how incomplete the little house is. You know, they don't have walls. They have twigs in the walls. (laughs) (laughs) Where Carrie sleeps, it's like... 
she's sling with bugs and twigs, you know? It's, it's like they threw this thing together and you kind of go, okay, I understand if you were like, <laughs> when they're on the prairie in Kansas, when they're in Independence, Ken, they built that little log thing. Okay. But you're, you've settled. You work in a mill. You have access to lumber. You're telling me Charles couldn't <laughs> from the mill? Clearly, he has all the wood he needs from the <laughs> mill. He works there. He can get advanced and just get a pile of wood. He's got a wagon to haul it back with. Also, they own all that land where the mm. barn is and the sod is, Come the sod house. How, you get, get Gil Gerard to put up a little plaster or something. Oh, I don't oh, know. <laughs> they could have added on to the house. There was no... He didn't need permits from the county. No. <laughs> he had the wood. He had the land. At any point, he could have said, why are we all cramming ourselves into two rooms? <laughs> he could have knocked out a wall and built out any distance on that chunk of land they had built out. He could have built four more rooms onto that house. Allison's irresponsible, actually. And, and it, 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 all of those children who had their own room, <laughs> yep. those children were all sleeping in one bed. Okay, if you just arrived and didn't have any money, that's what you built. But they were there for years. There was nothing yeah. stopping them from I couldn't just agree more. three rooms. <laughs> and they didn't do it. He, oh, he finally built her a kitchen. He built her a kitchen. They got a stove. Oh, big deal. They could have built on three more bedrooms. What was it going to cost him? They had the land. They had the space. Five cents? The, right. It, it was Okay. What, what are they going to have to do? Oh, the wiring? There was no electricity. You didn't need permits. You didn't have to like take it, change the plumbing. You didn't even he, get a phone. <laughs> right. There was nothing to do. All he had to do was like kick out one wall and hammer up some more. It was it. Exactly. Was Set up so a I, tent. I never understood why, oh. they, why they continued to cram themselves into one room when they had wood and land and could have built a giant house. So if I, could, if I could squeeze in one more question, because I, I, sure. I don't want to steal your whole morning away from you. Um, Megan Parker. Oh. <laughs> what did you say? I'm sorry. I'm having a lovely time doing oh, it. Oh, thank you. I'm sitting over there and Cindy from the radio station. She's a big bonnet head, so they're cracking up in the corner. <laughs> um, yeah. Megan Parker um, from Merrick, New York, where Lindsay Lohan grew up. Um, <laughs> I just know that because it's not far from where I live. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a fun fact. Fun fact. Um, I want, she wants to know if the wig that Nancy wore was the same one that you had worn, or did they, uh, did they upgrade the Scheidel's? <laughs> it's, it's she, the, that brat stole my wig um, <laughs> yes, I show up and it's like the kids in my hair they just they, they you know, Mrs. Olson adopts the little orphan child is very disturbed and in trying to make her over in Nellie's image they did they just picked that thing up off the <laughs> wig stand where I left it and slapped it on her little head and that was that um, which meant they created a problem because when I came back for the return of Nellie the visit what do they put on my head? My wig is on her head, and also now I'm an adult, so that hairstyle would be really weird. It was a challenge, right? Because they had the outcome was nuts. <laughs> they come up with this other wig, and they guess they decided, well, she's now kind of a well. Well, I would be a well-off shopkeeper's wife in New York because we moved to New York because yeah. the store take care of Percival's family. So I would be a well-to-do shopkeeper's wife in New York. So this would have been a sort of fashionable quasi Gibson girl do. But as I said in my book, it looked like someone made Jiffy Pop popcorn and the the foil like exploded. Um, it looks heavy. Yeah. Oof on my head. And um, it looked it looked really crazy. 
was kind of cute. I looked at some pictures the other day. Someone put, I was kind of cute in it. But yeah, I had very <laughs> weird hair, and she is totally wearing my wig. Yes. If you had to wear that that wig, you pulled it off. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And it probably was pretty similar to what people would have been wearing in the 1880s. They were pretty good about that. Our hair and makeup and our, our wardrobe people were very – they were always getting out the Sears catalog to see, like, what people <laughs> were buying then and would have had. And I remember our wardrobe woman, um, uh, Richeline, was so – she was such a stickler that we were talking one day, you know, us girls, not being up on our history but loving the clothes, said, ooh, do we get bustles? And she said, oh, no, you wouldn't get bustles for at least another two years. Mm. I mean down to that and we're like oh come on it's it's bustles now isn't it 1870 whatever aren't we bustles she says okay bustles were starting to happen like but in the big city and you guys were out in Waldorf, minnesota what are so, bustles uh, yeah. i'm not familiar with them. dresses where you had the big poofy thing in the back not quite the hoop skirts of the southern bells of the earlier era but they did the dresses and then some people started wearing bustles oh, okay. where the dress would have this big swoopy poofy thing in your butt basically um (laughs) added to your 1800s finery another reason you can't sit right and you can't sit down but we're like (laughs) oh we want bubbles but she said well here's the thing even though a fashion trend that you've seen in movies and pictures from the 1800s yes that fashion trend hit in oh 1878 in new york london and paris yeah. But you guys are in Nowhereville, Minnesota, so just like <laughs> real life, that wouldn't hit your town for another few years. So just because the catalog says that dress came out, no, you guys still wouldn't get it. Wow. You mean so Warner Grove was not on the cutting edge of style and fashion? No, although Mrs. Olson and Nellie tried, as she always said, it's from Paris in France. <laughs> France. So supposed to have dolls and dresses from Paris, so we were trying. Um, well, Allison, I want to thank you so much for, you know, talking to me today about all of this stuff. Um, can I just ask you what, what's next for you? Do you, are you working on any projects that we can look forward to? This, as, as I speak, I am sitting here at a radio station in Cleveland because uh, I just did the Ray Carr show because I am appearing at a thing called Goulardi Fest. Uh, all weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, here in uh, uh, Cleveland, Ohio. I'll be at Middleburg Heights is where they have it. And if you go online, Gullardy Fest, you know, if you know your Gullardy. Okay, people who aren't from Cleveland. Gullardy sort of invented the horror movie TV host. Everyone, Elvira, everyone you've ever seen who introduces tacky horror movies on late night TV show and is like, blah, blah, it's the horror oh, movie. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. He invented that. He was this kook who came on the TV and was kind of a beatnik character and would say all these insane things and play music and he was really funny and he would insert himself into the movies and he was, he was Mystery Science Theater 3000 before there was Mystery Science Theater 3000 and he was a genius. And um, he wound. He was friends with Tim Conway, and he wound up uh, becoming the announcer on the Carol Burnett Show and having a big career in voiceover and radio. But he's Gillardy in Cleveland. And my husband Bob, he grew up watching Gillardy, and it's like, oh my god, he was hysterical. So they have a Gillardy fest, and it's all about horror and comedy and Gillardy. I shouldn't know who Gillardy is, <laughs> but I was a fan of the punk band The Cramps mm-hmm. uh, out of sure. Ohio. They were way into Gillardy. All their songs are about Gillardy. They said Gillardy this, Gillardy that. So I knew about Gillardy, and then I married Bob, and I learned about Gillardy. And I was on a Gillardy fan page, and they were like, why are you on the Gillardy fan 
page and I explained this and they said you got to come to Galardy Fest and I was like oh my god there's a Galardy Fest we're so going so here we are we're going to Galardy Fest and uh, I'm doing that and we're hanging out with some of Bob's friends because he's from Akron so we're staying in Akron with some of his friends and having sort of a reunion party and then I come home for like five minutes and then I'm going to Honolulu I'm doing um, the gay pride parade in Honolulu Hawaii wow that's that's massive it's gonna be awesome and then I'm going to Alabama, um, November 1st, I'm going to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, which I've never been to, for a thing called Confusion, which is a whole wackadoo comic book horror <laughs> pop culture um, autograph show thing in Alabama. Um, that's November. What else am I doing? I'm doing Spurdvac, which is a whole old-time radio show society thing. I was Gracie Allen last year. I don't know what the heck I'm going to be doing this year. Um so I do that. And then um, Fayetteville, Arkansas is next year. I may be going to France in February. Nice. Of course, I've got a show every Tuesday, the Allison Arngram show. Um, talking about cookbooks, I'm working on a cookbook. I'm insisting I'm doing – I want to do a cookbook for people who can't cook because, you know, Nellie couldn't cook. <laughs> I, I love to I cook since I was a child. So I want to do a cookbook and with everyone's favorite line as the title – Who's going to do the cooking? That's awesome. That's something I would absolutely pre-order. Right. I think that's everyone <laughs> wants that. And I'm promoting everyone's stuff. You get the newsletter. I promote my stuff, promote everyone's stuff. Uh, you've had Wendy on? Yes. Twice. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Her Baby book Grace. is so cool. I love her book. Baby Grace writes a book and blows us all out of the water, right? She's like got the best. Go figure. She's part of the team. I think everybody really brought a decent book to the table. I think I, I love. I said the other day. I said we all have a book. Everybody's got a book. The dog's got a book. We've all. It's great. <laughs> that would be actually pretty awesome to have. You know, a dog book. Yeah, Jack the dog. Fred the goat. Fred the goat's going to put out a book. I'm telling you, it's you know. But <laughs> Fred it's the awesome. goat. Fred the goat coloring everything. book. <laughs> right, coloring book. Everybody, I promote everything. Everybody on the show is doing. I'm like, oh yeah, buy all their stuff too. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, actually, I'm giving away a beetle bag that was sent to me by Charlotte Stewart. She was so kind oh. to send it to me, autograph. So I'm giving it away. She is just the most amazing, wonderful she's person. And mm -hmm. she's just incredible. And she sews. She says she makes like her own clothes and stuff. And she makes beetle bags. She's, she's like my, my dresser financial consultant. Like, like, like we literally, we were in New York and, um, for the today show. And when she took me to Macy's, she picked out my whole outfit for that. Oh, wow. She has, like dressed me for stuff. I'm like, I don't know what to wear. And Charlotte will like dress me. And accessory outfit. Well, she had the shop in, um, I forget where, in San Francisco, I believe. I know. Well, she had a shop right in L.A. I go by it all the time. Liquid Butterfly. She had a store out here. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, she, she was so nice. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, she's just such oh, yeah. a, an amazing talent and such a wonderful and person. Like Morrison's. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on. I mean, uh, you immediately oh, get to the coolness factor. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Miss Beetle. Miss Beetle's the hippest one on the show. <laughs> You would never know it just watching the show. But right? yeah, she, she brings a lot to the table. Um, but Allison, thank you so much. Um, I do want to mention where you could uh, find your podcast. Um, if you go to ubngo.com slash Allison Arngram, or um, I'll put a link to the Spreaker um, yeah, go there. one as well. You know, it, it's, it's really such a fun show. I think if you enjoy Little House on the Prairie, I think that most people will embrace the way you are. But um you're very open and very honest. I think that that is uh, really refreshing. Um, 
you really kind of go out there and you're not really too worried about what people are going to think. I think anyway, that's, that's what I take from yeah, it. Yeah, I don't, I don't come on there and like say, well, I'm going to do this, but I let, like I said, I let things sort of go where they're going to go with the guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get cool people on them. It's, I get authors and musicians and everything, just everything in between. And it's, it's just really enjoyable to do. I find out things. Some of the people I interview, like I said, I've known for ages are my friends and I find out stuff I didn't even know. Because we just get the conversation going and they start telling me things. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Walnut Grovecast by heading over to patreon.com slash Any support is appreciated.